How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. This is episode number 40 for us here on this beautiful day. Uh, Dusty, what are you drinking today? You know, I'm drinking water. <laughs> We've been recording some of these episodes pretty early, so hopefully hopefully once the height of this crazy season passes by, we, uh, we'll be able to be drinking. Wow, that almost sounds terrible, but... Uh, it, yeah, hopefully we'll be, be able to drink more. So I am. Uh, I just rolled out of bed. Derek, what are you drinking? <laughs> well, it's it's way earlier for you than it is for me. For me, this is I don't know. We're almost to lunchtime. Um, I have a Sonic hard seltzer. It's a Sonic cherry limeade seltzer. Where did they sell that? In the uh, Midwest. So Sonic is headquartered in, I think, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, so they have it up here. I, I don't know all the states they have it, but they do have it here. It's it's, it's very good. Uh, it, okay, so give me a, a player it, uh, it relates to. Well, so first of all, I'm not like the biggest seltzer guy to begin with, so I wouldn't say this is like, something I'm only going to drink from now on. But like as far as seltzers go, it's, it's good. It, it's not my favorite seltzer. Um, so... I'm trying to think. I guess like bullpen, like middle relievers, like aren't my favorite position in baseball. So that would be like a seltzer. And then it's not the best middle reliever, but it's just like a middle reliever. So I don't know. Um, just take your like random middle reliever on any team. So it's the middle of the comp. it's the middle of the arm barn is what you're saying. Yeah, the middle of the arm barn, but like not a like a, a solid middle of the arm barn guy, right? I, I love a good um, middle so. of the arm barn guy. I will. Well, uh, let's see. Take give me your Giants middle of the uh, arm barn because you guys had quite a. Well, field. see, okay, I was gonna say Jose Alvarez because he's kind of a, a middle reliever, but um, I think he's better than what this this seltzer is because he was he was really good this past season, but I guess he doesn't have the track record, so uh, that might be a good one. Um, I guess we'll go with with Jose Alvarez or something. Um, there we go. Who knows if like Tony Watson gets re-signed? Like that could be a good comp. I like it. I like it. Okay, we got the Sonic Seltzer, and we got <laughs> nothing for me. So I'll, beautiful. When, when, we'll get back on track here soon, though. All right, uh, our throw it back baseball stat of the week. I'm going to test you early in the morning as you have just woken up. Um, it is our 40th episode. Can you name any or all of the members who have joined the 4040 club? There are four players in the 4040 club, which refers to 40 home runs and 40 steals. Wow. Um, 
That is a tough one early in the morning. Uh, off the, <laughs> uh, the hardest thing for me is knowing how close Matt Kemp was to that because uh, he was borderline. Yeah, he was a near miss. I think Kemp had 39 and that's 40. That's why, yeah, he had 39 steals, I believe. Or was 39, it was 39 home runs and 40 steals. Yeah, so he was he was awfully close. Um, geez, the last time that we even had one, I mean, Tatis wasn't there this year. He had forty two home runs and uh, twenty five steals off the top. Of my yeah, head. so Acuna was pretty close in twenty nineteen. He had forty one home runs, thirty seven steals. But the four players all did it between the span of nineteen eighty eight to two thousand six. If that helps you, in two thousand and six, Bobby Abreu wasn't on that list, was he? No, he was not. Okay, Bobby Abreu, Bobby, uh, Brian Giles. Was Brian Giles on that list? No. I have no idea why you're guessing these names. Brian Giles, believe it or not, uh, had a year in which, at least if I'm thinking correctly, uh, had a, like a 42 home run season, and I was just kind of banking that he had a stolen base in there too. To, uh, gosh, it is okay. Wait, wait, wait. I, I need to address this right now. So Brian Giles, he did have 39, 38, 37 home runs. The home runs were there. Dusty. Brian Giles steal high. It came in two thousand two when he had fifteen steals. <laughs> this is I'm gonna start testing Derek at like six AM his time at some point. Oh, I love this. I love this. All right, do you just want me to give you the answer? Yes, I definitely do. This is Okay, so 1988, Jose Canseco did it. 42 home runs, 40 steals. Okay, I would not have... You should have been able to get at least two of these. Uh, Barry Bonds did it in 1996. He had 42 home runs, 40 steals. It's hard to remember the stolen base guy. That's the, that's the hard part about that. That's fair. Uh, Alex Rodriguez did it with the Mariners. He had 42 home runs and 46 steals. Honestly, I, I'm kind of surprised you didn't get this one in 2006. When I said it happened from 88 to 2006... I thought the 2006 thing would be a dead giveaway. I, I, you should get this. Washington Nationals, 2006. Who did it? Alfonso Dustin? Soriano. There you okay. go. Yes, Alfonso Soriano, 46 home runs, 41 there steals. We go. Yeah, I, I, in in the back of my head, when you said 2006, all I could think about was Brandon Inge of the uh, Detroit <laughs> Tigers. We all know that he wasn't going 40-40. So, um, yeah, that that was that. That's what happens to early Dusty. So. You are the only person ever who has ever claimed. When I think of 2006, I think of Brandon Inge. I think of Brandon Inge. That was a that was a really really good. Honestly, okay, so maybe the Tigers also had her dang good rotation, mm. but let's not forget Brandon Inge. Incredible season uh, before his team faltered to a really honestly not very good Cardinals team that. Reminds me a lot of what the Braves did this past year. The Cardinals just kind of came out of the blue and got hot at the right time. But this Braves team of 2021 would have smashed the 2006 Cardinals. I'm just throwing that out there. We, <laughs> we, we had our little talk last week about uh, which of the most recent 10 World Series champs would face the Braves and, and, and where would the Braves stack up. If you look at the 2006 Cardinals, my gosh, this Braves team would have annihilated them. And I would have honestly felt bad. So, but yeah, Brandon Inge, truly a legend uh, in my heart uh, of 2006. Well, I love this. Tired Dusty is basically like Dusty had too many drinks on the I, show. I we'll get on to our uh, qualifying offers. That, uh, there were qualifying offers given out to Brandon Belt, Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, Rossell Iglesias, Robbie Ray, Erod, 
Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, uh, Trevor Story, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Taylor, and Justin Verlander. Uh, Dusty, which of those decisions, I believe it's 14, do you think has the biggest fantasy impact based on them either taking the qualifying offer or going to a new destination? You have to kind of consider the guy that's going to be probably signing the longest term deal. And so, I mean, there's two guys that stand out of that pack is arguably going to be the longest deal is probably seven years. And that's going to be Carlos Correa and Corey Seager. So um, I, I would say between Correa and Seager, you, you know what you're getting from Seager for the most part. Um, I think the ballpark in Houston really had an impact for some of the home runs that Correa had as well. So I'm just going to say Carlos Correa fantasy wise uh, is the most impacted by um, you know, this situation, if Correa was to go back to Minute Maid Park, uh, those Crawford boxes in left field have a significant impact for right-handed hitting hitters, the same way that Fenway Park's Green Monster does for righties, and the short portion right field for lefties in the Yankee Stadium. That it's, it's kind of the same uh, situation as a whole there. So I'll say Correa. Yeah, I, I think... Uh... There's a lot of guys on this list who are kind of in that same ilk of, you know, you almost want them, like if you have them in a keeper league or something in fantasy, like you want them to re-sign. Like Correa is one of those because you're in an absolute hitter's park. Nick Castellanos, his splits between playing um, in Cincinnati versus playing away from Cincinnati were devastatingly different this season. Um, so that would scare you, I think, a little bit if he doesn't um, come back to the Reds. Uh, and then you have... Uh, guys like Trevor Story, who obviously you're in Coors Field, and that could have a big impact if you leave away from there. But then you have some other guys, too, who I think can have maybe improved situations based on where they go. Like with Noah Syndergaard, if he goes somewhere else, I, I think that could be a good thing for him, just in terms of like get away from the Mets, every pitcher gets injured kind of coaching staff or, or whatever is causing that organizational thing. Chris Taylor... Um, going somewhere that, you know, he was an everyday player this past season and he had his best fantasy year. So making sure you go somewhere where you are an everyday player, and that could still be returning to the Dodgers. I don't want to discount that. Um, but then you have, as well, with uh, a guy like Rossell Iglesias, who uh, I think if he goes to, like, a true contender, like, he had a really good season with the Angels. If he goes to a true contender and he's getting even more saves, like, that could have a big positive impact on a guy like him. I, I like those picks. And uh, the one that uh, basically I, I'm very curious about, to be honest, is essentially the one we didn't even talk about, which is Marcus Semien. Um, because the services of Semien are going to be really intriguing considering he blew up this past year in the heart of a really incredible lineup in the Toronto Blue Jays. And so when you see a guy like Trevor Story where Coors Field is an impact, but maybe not the lineup around him, necessarily was the most impactful like he had he had CJ Crone who blew up um, but outside of that it's not like that Rockies lineup was anything special the Blue Jays lineup was incredibly special Semien was seeing a lot of good pitches because quite frankly you're seeing Vlad Guerrero Jr. Bo Bichette uh, and George Springer hitting around you as well uh, so I'm curious to see what happens with Semien because he's going to be a big piece this offseason and uh, he's never been a sexy name but uh, hopefully people realize, I mean, how great of a year he had this past year. And he was an MVP candidate just a few years ago with the A's, too. I think some people would argue it is a sexy name for one reason or another, but I won't get into that. Okay, uh, notably not 
given the qualifying offer. Clayton Kershaw and John Gray were not given the qualifying offer. Now, for Kershaw, it's just interesting because you're talking about a, a Dodgers lifer, a, a legend in the sport, and I, I don't know. Uh, let, let's start with that one. Like, what did you think as a Dodgers fan yourself of, of him not receiving the QO? Well, it, it means one of two things. It either means that they're already planning on uh, somehow getting him back and, and it's just uh, the negotiation process and that the QO didn't matter because he's signing not signing somewhere else. Uh, the QO doesn't really make a lot of sense not to offer in the sense that you know, you're going to have another team sign him, then you get the pick. So it, that leads me to believe that they're trying to work on a greater negotiation or they are just out and there's some longer term injury with this elbow uh, or they they know something we don't know uh, that maybe retirement is within the cards. You know, it, it's not like this would be shocking if Kershaw retires. It's kind of the same situation as Posey. And quite frankly, you can almost make the argument based off health issues that it would make more sense for Kershaw to retire than Posey, uh, just because Kershaw has not been himself over the last couple of seasons. So it, it is a little bit, you know, shocking, I guess, that they didn't even consider offering that, or maybe they did. But I would say those are your two basic options as to why they didn't do that. Um, but yeah, it, it is just a little bit confusing that they wouldn't do that. Yeah, and I mean, if if Clayton Kershaw gave you his production that he had in 2021 for the qualifying offer, which is 18 million and, and some change, I think you would even take that. Like, I even if you said, you know, he only pitched 121 innings, but you got All Star level pitcher in 121 innings with a um, season from him, then you know, I, I I don't know. Maybe you would say that uh, that's worth it for me on the one year anyway. Uh, even if they were negotiating a long-term deal, though, or, or a bigger deal or whatever it is, I don't understand why you wouldn't at least give them the qualifying offer to at least give yourself a backup. That rings to me either the injury thing is a concern or I, I think another possibility there, and I think the retirement thing is also a, a good avenue with that. I wonder if they knew this offseason just based on his health and, and age and, and how you know maybe, I don't know, they need to spend money to try to bring in back guys like Chris Taylor, or we'll see what happens with Corey Seager, um, to where they knew they were going to let him go, and they didn't want to tank his market. Like, it's almost a service, because we've seen so many guys with the qualifying offer get the offer, and then other teams don't want to sign that player. Like, okay, for instance, a perfect example, uh, the team that we've seen floated around, whether it's truth or not, or just kind of fun, um, is the Texas Rangers with Clayton Kershaw and, and all these different pitchers. And if you're the Texas Rangers who are coming off a couple bad seasons, you need your draft picks, right? So if you're going out and signing a player with the qualifying offer to lose a draft pick, like it's one thing if you go out and sign a seven-year deal with Corey Seager to lose a draft pick because then you have seven years of this guy who's in his prime. It's another thing to go sign a aging pitcher for a two-year deal or something and lose a draft pick for just the two years of that. Um, so you almost are doing Clayton Kershaw a disservice by giving him the qualifying offer and hurting his market with other teams that maybe he wants to go to. And I wonder if this is just kind of a, a nice gesture 
by the Dodgers to just say, listen, you've done so much for the organization. Like, we're not going to give you a qualifying offer that's going to handicap your market. You do what you want to do. That's actually a really good theory. I haven't even considered that. That, that is, uh, I, I like the way that you kind of put that together. You know, baseball is a business, but Kershaw has offered so much to that organization that, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, sure, is it a business decision normally to give a qualifying offer? Yeah, it is. But Kershaw is a, a different level um of a player and I, I you know maybe it is one of those uh closed door under the wraps things that uh that that was the discussion so i like that theory i like that theory and uh but yeah his market's going to be really interesting to monitor because you would assume the texas rangers are going to be the team that swoops in yeah and i i think like there's both the personal side of it of this guy's given so much so we can help him out but also i mean there is a business aspect of that too like yes you don't get the the draft pick of losing a guy on a qualifying offer but if if that is indeed what they did like that gets passed down to the agency of clayton kershaw and now the agent knows that you did him a solid so the agent might i don't know try to help you out signing a player for a better deal or something in the future, or it might get word around the MLB, and and that's the type of stuff that endears free agents to certain areas. So like it, it it's kind of a win win. Now the other notable player not giving a qualifying offer was John Gray, and this is not notable in terms of performance necessarily. Now, if you look at the last two months of the season, John Gray really struggled for the Rockies. Um, but the end of the year, you look at the, the raw stats at the end of things, and you're, you're not overly impressed. You're looking at a mid-fours ERA. But if you take into account the ballpark factor, and you look at ERA+, plus, and again, ERA+, plus is a measuring tool to factor your ERA compared to league-wide ERAs, but it also factors in home ballparks. And obviously with John Gray, you have, you have a tougher home ballpark. His ERA plus was 104. An average pitcher is 100. So he was a slightly above average pitcher in the MLB, which those don't grow on trees if you're the Colorado Rockies. And it would be one thing if this is what I thought they should have done. They should have traded him at the trade deadline and got something for him. But the uh, they ended up saying that, no, we didn't trade him at the trade deadline because we didn't think the haul that we were going to get back was better than a pick we would get back for the qualifying offer. Well, guess what? They didn't even offer him the qualifying offer. What the heck, Rockies? Yeah, I don't really understand what they were thinking there. And maybe maybe they, you know, don't like him from a, a long-term perspective. But, like, come on. Like, like, offer him the qualifying offer so you can get the pick. They, they, there's, there's a significant difference between the Dodgers not offering Kershaw and Gray not being offered. You know, Mike uh, Petriello wrote a really interesting story um, on Baseball Savant about John Gray, and he pointed something out that uh, I think is super interesting because over his career, according to Petriello, he allowed a .307 weighted on base percentage the first time through the lineup, then it was a .320 weighted on base percentage. But the third time around is really what killed John Gray, and that was a .356. And so the Rockies used him... Uh, to the max, almost every single star possible, and thus the reason why he was getting hit pretty hard in that third time around the lineup, and you mentioned the course field effect. All those things go hand in hand. John Gray is a really solid starter. Um, and so to not get a QO is something that's shocking, and it just goes back to the whole make the moves at the deadline, make the moves in the preseason. You, you, you knew you weren't going to compete this year. 
I don't know what this organization's doing. They're a complete mess. Um, they, there's some firings and uh, some reshift that they need in the front office there because it, it has not been good. Even in their 2018 year that they made the playoffs, it was not even that great because they didn't make any key moves to to help put them over the top. You know, so this this is a pathetic move. Yeah, John Gray is the type of pitcher, too, where if he goes to a team who has, like, established uh, either strong pitching coaches or uh, strong, like, just pitching organizational um, improvement, you know, uh, that I would really buy in on in, in a fantasy league that I think he could have kind of a, a breakout season. But if he stays with the Rockies, then it's just kind of same old, same old. Uh, free agency did kick off, and possibly a guy who's in that same ilk Andrew Heaney goes to the Dodgers one year, $8 million for Heaney. It's kind of a, a prove-it contract. Uh, so uh, let's just start with the, with the fantasy value side of things. What do you think about Andrew Heaney's fantasy value now that he is with the Dodgers? Um, it, it's going to be slightly improved, but, I mean, to be honest, I last year would have said, unless you're in some, like, 16-league, uh, you know, one-year league, that he's not really ownership wise. He is not a guy that I would pick up around. Um, he's going to be pitching in Dodger stadium. That's a lot better than pitching in Yankee stadium. Okay. So the ball's not going to fly the same way. He is going to face a division that number one, he, he's never been in the national league as a starting pitcher. So he'll get uh, inevitably. We, we still think probably a starting pitcher, but maybe not. Uh, it's, it may be a DH. So he may get no change there in that respect. Uh, but he will get lesser hitting teams uh, in the sense that he'll face the Diamondbacks, uh, which you can equate to the Baltimore Orioles pretty much in that respect. Uh, and then also, you know, the the other one, uh, the Rockies lineup has always been good. So you, you, you never want to count that as a positive to have to face the Rockies because inevitably you're going to have to get a course field as well. Facing the Giants is going to be really tough, but uh, the Padres will be the interesting one uh, to see where that lineup is in 2022. It could be a great thing that he's facing them. Like if they hit down the stretch the same way they did this past past uh, year down the stretch, I should say. And uh, if not, though, it could be a struggle. I, I His fantasy value is in a similar spot for me. I, I just I don't really see it very high in the sense that, you know, I, I don't love the signing. I guess that's number one. Um, this is one of those guys that I've actually always said, don't go out and get this guy. He's a waste of space on your roster. And and it is a prove-me contract. And quite frankly, I still have that that philosophy. I'm, I'm very pessimistic. Uh, as a Dodgers fan and just a baseball fan in general, I, I've never really been an Andrew Heaney believer when I've seen what he's done on the Angels. He does strike out hitters. That's, that's a positive. And maybe the Dodgers are trying to, you know, solve why can he not do this on a consistent basis and everybody's going to do it. It's going to be that, that pitching staff, but, or a pitching uh, group of coaches, but I, I don't know. I, I don't feel great about it. What about you? So I actually like this move because I'm viewing it as like, I don't think he's going to be like an anchor in the rotation in terms of you just expect him to go six, seven innings every game. I think they're going to kind of use him how they used like Alex Wood a couple of years ago, which was, you know, part-time starter, part-time middle reliever. You can kind of use him in a pinch here or there. Um, and you look at his splits, like for his career, uh, batters have a below average OPS 
the first and second time through the order, but then they go to being good the third time through the order. So I think the Dodgers are going to limit his workload, and he might only pitch three, four, five innings in a given start, but I think that's going to really help him. I think being on the Dodgers will maximize it. Now, I'm not expecting like a great season or anything. Like He consistently is a guy who has a better FIP than how he actually performs. But the strikeout numbers are there, and I think there's enough there that you'll see like a solid season. I could see like a low four ZRA with solid strikeout numbers, and, and that has at least some use in fantasy. I, I think he'd be more of like a spot starter, where it's like if he has a good matchup, you start him that specific day, but if he's facing off against, you know, like a a solid lineup, then you're probably benching him that specific day. That's, that's kind of how I view that. So I, I think there'll be some value, just not overall. Um, as far as what it means for the Dodgers, like, what do you view this as, as meaning for just kind of the, uh, pitching rotation in general? Do you think, uh, they're going to just take more flyers on guys to fill out the rotation? Do you see them going for a frontline guy? Yeah, I actually have a, a, a pretty strong theory about what they're doing. Um, I don't see them going out and getting and retaining Kershaw. I don't, I, I think that that chip may have sailed. Uh, the Max Scherzer situation I think they're definitely going to be in the running for him. Uh, however, I don't know if they're going to throw the most money at him. Um, I think somebody else will. I, my pick uh, before you know anything has really happened has been the Red Sox. Uh, I think the Red Sox are a great fit for Max Scherzer. They could use one more top-of-the-line guy that really is considered their ace. You saw Chris Sale uh, pitch relatively well down the stretch, but you don't know how deep that guy can go, and his injury history is a concern. Um, they, they have Eovaldi, but I think to pair Scherzer, Sale, Eovaldi, and then probably not bring back Erod, um, that's more of kind of how I see the Red Sox going about their business. So I, I kind of see Scherzer heading in that direction. Um, I think the Dodgers are going to get one more flyer guy. It could be a guy like Jacob Junis, uh, you know, a guy that just kind of on the younger side of things, like a Dylan Bundy that just hasn't quite figured it out or tapped into their full potential. Bundy, to me, is the guy that I think they're going to end up chasing down. Um, And I think they're going to go into the season with the rotation that has Walker Buehler, Julio Arias, and then they're going to wait on Dustin May to get back healthy. But you got three legitimate aces potentially right there, you know, in in those. I, I mean, all three of them are at the higher upper echelon in baseball uh, when healthy, right? And Dustin May was trending in that direction and unfortunately didn't get his chance because of having to get uh, Tommy John. But then they also have Ryan Papois that's coming up. Uh, and then Bobby Miller has been unbelievable uh, so far in the uh, this offseason and the way that he's been kind of looking. I mean, he's been gassed and, and clocked at 98 miles per hour. If those two come up and they're they're projected to, to come up midway through the 2022 season, I mean, they could just look at Heaney and potentially a guy like a Junis um, or, you know, a guy like a Bundy as just a stopgap, right? And then at the trade deadline, make a move for a guy they need, and then they're not committing to a contract. Remember, they're also tied to $40 million as of right now to Trevor Bauer. So... We don't really know what that contract looks like, and I think it's a bigger issue than people will assume because, I mean, Bauer is on administrative leave, but what does that mean for the Dodgers, you know, in terms of how they're actually going to pay them? Are they going to pay him? Is there something in his contract that, you know, takes away from that because he's on administrative leave? We don't know. So 
I'm curious to see what happens, but I think the Dodgers are going to be less active at this particular offseason. And meanwhile, their ultimate goal should be to try and retain either Corey Seager or Chris Taylor. I mean, that's 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 uh, item number 1A and 1B on the agenda. Yeah, and I was, I was just looking at Spotrack, and the Dodgers have $32 million up until they get to the uh, luxury tax line, which... Uh, they crossed it last year. I, I'm sure they wouldn't have an issue crossing it again, but I'm sure if they could prefer it, they would like to stay under because the penalties stack the more that you stay into the luxury tax year to year. So um, I don't know that it's a hard cap, but that could definitely limit things at the very least. Now, maybe they would find a guy who's making too much money and, and ship him off with a prospect to kind of dump the salary. Um, like you said, who knows what's going to happen with the Trevor Bauer contract. That could obviously free up some money if if they find a way to kind of get out of that. So that'll be definitely interesting to monitor and, and uh, figure out just, I guess, how much they're going to be spending the, the this other, offseason. The, the other theory that I have, too, is is with the CBA. I mean, there's going to be uh, rumored to be two and a half months of really uh, bad labor agreements. And you wonder if maybe there is a, a salary cap put in place. Are the Dodgers strategically trying to prepare themselves in the off chance that happens, right? Like That's just something you have to keep in mind. Now, you know they wouldn't implement that in year one, but imagine committing a long-term contract to a guy and then realizing, oh gosh, now we're really tied for funds or something like that. I mean, I think they're going to be strategic about it in that sense. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. It almost... It almost favors the teams who don't have a high payroll right now because they know that, hey, listen, even if there's a lower luxury tax line or even if there's a salary cap, like we know we're still going to have $100 million to spend. So like if we go out and spend $40, $50 million on free agents right now, we don't have any worry that we're going to brush up against it. Whereas a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Giants, like they don't know where that number is going to be. So it definitely impacts things a little bit. Uh, Shotgun six-pack, number one. Better pitcher in the year 2024, Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer. Um, I think that Verlander being off the time frame that he did and the way that Scherzer, I mean, pitched as a Cy Young, uh, I I think that the only concern that you have may be the dead arm that Max Scherzer had. Uh, But it sounded like Scherzer was ready to go for a Game 7. So I don't think it was that significant. I think he was just being overused. Uh, I, I'm going Scherzer. The, the way that guy pitched was brilliant down the stretch. He was the best pitcher in baseball uh, at that point in time. I'll go out on a limb and say Justin Verlander. Um, I've always thought that he would be the type of guy that could pitch till he's 45, and he kind of uh, mentioned that a week or so ago. He said, like, I do want to pitch in, you know, to my mid-40s, be like the Tom Brady of, of pitchers. I don't know if Scherzer, that's the thing. Scherzer hasn't made any comments like that. For, so for all we know, Max Scherzer could retire before 2024 so i'll just take the the sure thing with verlander seems like he wants to go that far although less of a sure thing definitely coming off the uh injury number two if juan soto signed a mega extension a la what we saw with fernando tatis how much money should he get over say a 10-year contract over a 10-year contract i'd give him about 400 million on the dot i would say that guy is going to be one of the first 40 million dollar guys that you see um i i I would retain Soto for a 14-year contract if I really could. I mean, that kid is entering, what, his age 23 season, and he's been in the league for five years. 
what the heck? How is that even possible? Like that is this will be his fifth year on that. I mean that that is nuts to me. He he's the best player in my opinion in baseball. If I'm the Nationals, I don't know why that hasn't already happened. I, I you retain that guy. You will never that 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 player should never ever touch free agency until he's in his mid to late thirties. I'd give him a ten year five hundred million dollar contract if that's what it takes to get it done. He is so damn good and. Uh, Contracts continue to go up, so like by year eight of that contract, maybe fifty million dollars is just like what it costs to pay like a good starting pitcher. Who knows? Uh, Scott Boris stated that tanking was the reason for the Braves' World Series victory because you had all these teams tanking, just wanting to give up players, and so the Braves just added all these players, even though they were out of it below five hundred, and it allowed them to get back in the playoff race. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think he's 100% right or wrong. Um, I think that the reason why the Braves won the World Series was because they already had an absolutely loaded core. And even without Ronald Acuna Jr., they, they had the, the means and the, uh, the ability to go about their business and say, hey, we need this piece, this piece, and this piece to help. But it's not like they went out and got the Max Scherzer or Trey Turner, right? Like, those are the two keys. And and quite frankly, that argument would have probably been stronger for a team like the Dodgers, right? Like, because Max Scherzer and Trey Turner being traded is almost borderline ludicrous considering that Turner is still on the Dodgers this upcoming season, right? Uh, but the Braves got a bunch of rentals. And, you know, I don't know if the Royals per se were tanking. I think the Royals weren't that great of a team, and so Lair was not playing that well. Uh, Jock Peterson, he was traded from a Cubs team after Peterson wasn't putting up that great of numbers. Um, and just kind of look around. Adam Duvall, uh, he wasn't good enough for the Braves to bring him back. You know, he went to the Miami Marlins, and he, he was okay, but he was not a sexy ad. And then Eddie Rosario was, you know, kind of an afterthought for the Minnesota Twins, goes to the Cleveland Indians, and doesn't produce much there. So if you're talking about any team that, you know, succeeded based off of teams that was tank- that were tanking, I-, I would say the Braves are the last team that really gained from tanking. I think they gained from the fact that the players they acquired, they saw inherent value in guys that just weren't pr- producing, right? Like, that's really what it was. I think Boris would be more correct if a team like the Dodgers or maybe the Giants, because the Giants got a Chris Bryant and... You know, obviously, Chris Bryant is a, a big factor that was playing great that season. Um, if you saw a team like the Yankees, right, that got Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo was a big ad. Joey Gallo wasn't really on a tanking team. It was just a, a pathetic team. Um, and then you look at the Red Sox, they get Kyle Schwarber, uh, who also was kind of blowing up uh, with the Nationals, but the Nationals weren't doing anything. Those teams his argument would make more sense. I think there were more playoff teams that, that really got better because of tanking teams. I agree with that notion. But of all teams to point the finger at, the Braves are the last one I would. I, I just think it's weird because isn't that always the trade deadline? The tanking yeah. teams give away yeah. the players? So I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a dumb comment, to be completely honest. But I, oh well, who cares? Uh, number four, will spring training start on time? I sure hope so. Oh, man, I sure hope so. Uh, this is going to be a really scary time once again. One thing that I kind of forgot about during the pandemic, you know, like we, we think back to that 2020 shortened season, why it was only 60 games, and it, we, we just think about, oh, well, it was because of COVID. Well, 
it really wasn't. It was because th- these sides didn't agree on the length of the season. There were a lot of issues in terms of pay. You know, uh, what were those guaranteed contracts going to look like in 2020? It was a mess. It was a complete mess. And, and at one point, it just seemed like we weren't having a season at all. And it, quite frankly, had nothing to do with COVID or very little to. This time around, the pandemic doesn't really play much of a role in that. Um, you, you do wonder, actually, though, about uh, if there's going to be a policy about all players must be vaccinated. I'm curious about that uh, because of what we've seen with Aaron Rodgers and the, the Packers. Uh, so that that's actually something to keep an eye on. But I, I'm, I'm really concerned because it just seems like the players' union and the league itself continue to drift off in opposite directions. Um it, let's hope spring training starts in time. I'm going to say it does. I'm going to say it doesn't. I have no faith in the owners and players coming to an agreement. I think the season starts late. If it starts at all, I am pessimistic on this, to say the least. Uh, number five, the Texas Rangers will be a top blank team in the AL West next season. They'll be a top five team in the AL West. Okay. <laughs> I, oh man, I don't know. I, I just, I, I can't forecast them yet because it sounds like they've got the money in the bag and where that money came from. I don't really know. It, this is what's annoying to me about these kind of teams is, you know, for three, four years, they don't make a move. And then all of a sudden they say, oh yeah, we got money. We cleared our books. Like who did the Rangers actually lose? They weren't paying Joey Gallo that much. Right. And I, I mean, Elvis Andrews was probably their big contract. And quite frankly, relative to where we're at now, like you had mentioned about longer term contracts, how, you know, funds go over time. Andrews's was not that intense to where you were sitting there and saying, man, this is a huge contract off the books. I, I don't really get why the Rangers all of a sudden are like, yep, this is this is it. We 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 have the money. Uh, it's it's a joke, and, and teams like the A's and the Reds should be hanging their heads in shame, too, because we know they have money, too, especially the Reds, and they, they cry poor when they're not. And and then in a few seasons, oh, we do have the funds, actually. Um, they always have. Owners have plenty of money. It's just a matter of how much they actually want to spend. I, I'll, say, yeah. I'll, I'll say the Rangers are a top three um, because I think it'll go Mariners. This is totally off the cuff here, but I think it's going to go Mariners one. I think the Mariners are going to get a guy like Marcus Semyon or Chris Bryant. Uh, Mariners one, Astros two, Rangers three, Angels four, Athletics five. That's my guess. Okay, I am. Uh, I think the A's. I agree with you. They're going to finish last. It sounds like they're going to be selling guys off, like even Montas and Manaya and so forth. Um, so I'll put them last. So I'll say for sure top four team. I think. Honestly, this is going to be a pretty competitive division. Uh, what happens with the Angels, like pitching staff? How, how much do they add to it in the offseason? Like that is the biggest thing for me there. Um, I still think the Astros, for me right now, would be the class of the division. The Mariners, there's still a lot of, you know, how good were you really? The like Pythagorean theorem had them like 12 games worse than they actually were. I think they were closer to like a 78-win team. Um, but they should be better than that. So I don't know. I'll say, uh, I'll say top three for the Rangers, just like you and, and assume that they're going to make a couple free agent splashes and they finish ahead of one of the Mariners or angels. Who will the Rangers? Uh, okay. Play? Number who, who is, who is, uh, outside of maybe Kershaw, who are the Rangers getting? Well, 
it seems like they're in on basically every pitcher. Um, and then it also, I, I know they've been talking about going with Corey Seager, which uh, I don't know if that'll end up happening, but I think more than anything, that signals to me that they're willing to spend like for the top of the line free agent. So maybe if you don't get Seager, you still get one of those other top guys. I'm just assuming they're going to make some splashes. I just have no idea who they'll be. I can see that. It, it, same, same thing. It, it's going to be really interesting to monitor that team in particular. <clears throat> All right, number six. In a standard 5x5 five five average or OBP league, your number one pick for a 2022 fantasy draft right now would be who? Juan, <clears throat> Juan Soto. Juan Soto. I actually mm-hmm. wrote an article about this uh, in Just Baseball recently. And then uh, turn your attention to Just Baseball because we're doing a bunch of fantasy player previews as well. And Derek and I will... Combine our thoughts uh, closer to March when we have a, a nice announcement uh, for you. Uh, but we will be coming up with our own fantasy baseball rankings uh, across the board. And for me, Juan Soto is the not obvious choice because there are so many different picks. And you can make the argument that Vlad Guerrero Jr., Tatis Jr., Acuna, all the juniors of the world, I feel like. Um, you could even make somewhat of an argument that a guy like Trey Turner could be at least in the conversation. I would not pick him a number one overall, but he's he's possibly a top five. Uh, but Soto, for me, the on-base percentage is ludicrous. Uh, the slash line was insane this past year. And he was doing that on a tanking team, and he got better over the year on a tanking team. Uh, imagine what's going to happen if the Nationals do make some sort of addition. Um, I mean, he had nothing around him, and he still was just absolutely smoking the baseball. And... And with on-base percentage as a category, you're you're almost guaranteeing it to yourself. Uh, the only thing you're not getting from Juan Soto is stolen bases. That's that's really it. Yeah, that's why I actually would go with Trey Turner number one overall in in a classic five by five league where steals are now ten percent or twenty percent of just the hitting categories. Um, I just think that is that's so important, and you're going to get thirty plus from. Uh, Trey Turner, so I kind of think that he would be my number one pick. Now, if you're in a league where you get um, dual abilities from Shohei Otani as a DH and pitcher, oh, yeah. that's in the conversation for oh, me. Yeah. Um, but also, I know some people do leagues where it's it's like a weekly lineup, and you have to pick whether he's a pitcher or a DH that league that week, and that would not be worth it at all for me. So. Uh, those I think would be the three for me. I'd be thinking about Soto, Turner, and Shohei Otani if it was one player. Just don't do fan league. tracks. Don't do fan tracks. It's not. <laughs> I I played it this past year. Did not like that format. Just despite the fact that Otani can qualify for both pitcher and hitter. Also, their interface sucks. Not great. That's another great. story for another day. <laughs> uh, all right, closing time. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. We're on social media at Booze and Baseball. You can email us, boozeandbaseball at gmail.com to ask any questions. Thanks to Mixkit for the stock music, Man Cave merch for our coasters. If you'd like to purchase a coaster for the holiday season, get somebody a cool baseball or football card in their coaster. BNB15 to get 15% off your order. That's BNB15 with Man Cave merch. Drink responsibly. Have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Later.